Hi everyone, uh, it's Arthur here from theartofliving.com. Uh, super excited to be chatting with my friend Anthony Metivier today, um, who is uh, probably the the best living memory expert that I know, certainly know personally. I'm an absolutely fascinating guy. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Anthony. Oh, thanks, Arthur, and thanks for <laughs> for the kind words. You um you may have exceeded there a little bit, but <laughs> that's all right. At least I I can exceed on your behalf. <laughs> uh, but you do remind me a little bit. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, Back to Future, uh, the doc, like mm. a more handsome version of the doc, but for medicine. You know, if someone was going to invent the equivalent of a time machine for memory, it would be you. I'm sure. Um, you know, and I, I love. For anyone who doesn't know Anthony's stuff over at Magnetic Memory Method, we'll talk a lot about it today. But um, it's a very, it's a refreshingly practical and real world. You know, it's not about, and you say on your uh, on your site, and you can see it in all your materials. It's not about. You know, there's so much about memory stuff. It's either uh, you know playing games on your phone, or it's about winning memory championships. And there doesn't seem to, people have lost the art of just day to day practical memory. And I think that's something that you you do very well is this idea of how do you actually use this to improve your life in meaningful ways. So, so yeah, and Back to the Future is part of it because the DOC stands for DOC. Doing is the origin of competence, and oh, nice. I often refer to that doctor when I give my live talks in the community. To oh, help really? people remember, you know, don't get hung up on these techniques. Just do it because yeah. it's the origin of competence, the origin of creativity. It's the origin of the courage that you need. It's the origin of everything, really, um, that makes it great. 100%. And I think, especially with something like memory palaces, there's this fear of not getting it right. You know, I've, I've, I've used them for myself and I'm like, am I doing this right? Is the memory palace going to work? You know, will my first memory palace be useless later on or this kind of thing? Mm. But you know, the, you can only get to version 100 through version one. You know, you have to start like doing is the origin of competence, the origin, right? You have to just take the first action. So, yeah. um, so let's talk a bit about you because um, there'll be people here listening to this who've never heard of you and there will be people uh, listening to this who've been following you for years and years and years um but I, I guess the the sort of the summary we talked a little bit about but you help you know, you've helped thousands of people basically learn practical skills like especially language learning uh, but also uh getting better at math getting better at uh, topics which require a lot of memorization like law and medicine and things like that and you've used uh, you've done that using memory techniques um many of which have been known for millennia but you've you've done it in a way which is a sort of a new and super practical way of doing it and your main focus am i right in saying is on memory palaces so it's combining visual memory with uh declarative memory so that you can recall facts and and things like vocabulary in very easy ways using your visual memory is that right yeah and it's a puzzle how to actually teach this well because it doesn't have anything to do with the words memory palace hmm. but we have to call it something right so really the unsexy term i would use is location-based mnemonic. Yeah. And this is nerdy stuff, but people get hung up. They don't like this term, memory palace or whatever. So if you don't like that term, call it a mind palace, call it whatever you want. But essentially what you're doing is you're using space, remembered space that you don't have to work for to link information you don't know together with uh, some stuff like Doc from Back to the Future. And then it just pops in your mind because you have a place to look for it. So I do focus on that, but not because I have some, you know, fixia, uh, fi fixation on this particular technique. It's just a term for something that is much bigger and much more explosive than, you know, some castle in your head. Yeah. Um, and so that's a real challenge, how to, how to make that 
clear in a couple of minutes, especially when now we're dealing with seconds in the uh, you know twitchy Twitter world yeah, of yeah. the 21st century. So yeah, that's what I teach, and I I love it, and I it. it's I love it because it is there is no argument against it. You know, people people who say, well, will this work or not? The, the, the evidence is not in their favor. <laughs> it, Absolutely. It's, it's one of the, it's like going to the gym and saying, well, this barbell, you know, exercise my muscle, you know, but even more, it's it, even more immediate than that. Uh, one of my favorite things is uh, you read any memory book by Harry Lorraine or Dominic O'Brien or any of them. And one of the first techniques they'll introduce you to is the link method, right? Where you use visual mm -hmm. memory to link two words to each other and you create a chain as you go through. And a lot of people read these books and they never do the acts of the exercise that's in there. You only have to do that exercise once to have your mind totally blown. I remember the first time I did that and I looked through the list, I remembered five things on there and then I followed the exercise and literally 30 seconds later, I remembered all 25 things on the list and I could do it backwards. And I was like, wow. And the same is true of the memory palace technique. You know, if you actually just discard your, uh, your cynicism or even just make that initial little effort and you make your first memory palace, even if it's three stations in a room and you start tying things to it, suddenly you, you experience viscerally and firsthand how powerful that stuff is. It's real magic, it, or it's the closest thing to real magic that exists. And the only puzzle left to solve is exactly the one you proposed, that mo many people just won't do it. And yeah, then they'll yeah. never get there. They'll try to understand it. And the reality is, is that it is only understood through doing because yeah. it, not to sound mystical, but there, there is a mystical tradition that uses memory techniques. And what happens to you is indeed beyond name and form. You know, yeah. it, it, it changes your neurochemistry. And yeah. you, that's why you see, and even uh, Scott Young in Ultra Learner, mm -hmm. um, or is it Ultra Learning, is it called? Mm -hmm. um, the, um, he has a passage there that's just amazing. And uh, he says, there are people who are so into memory techniques that they're really into them, you know, like it's almost like a religion. And I think that that he doesn't use that word that it's almost like a religion, but that fanaticism that those of us who use it have is because there's a relationship to meditation, to mystical sorts of experiences, to real magic, if I can roll my R, it's to accentuate it. And we can look at brain studies that show this. You're getting the production of... Uh, dopamine, myelin, the opioid receptors are just firing like crazy to gather up all kinds of other chemicals, norepinephrine and stuff I don't even know how to pronounce properly. But you know, it's just, it is playing positive chemistry in your mind for drug-like outcomes. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It is amazing stuff. And anyone who hasn't experienced, I think, I think something that you're very good at is that people can listen to this and it's like, it sounds too good to be true. And therefore people are busy. They don't have time. They don't do it. But I think something you do really well is you tie it always back to a practical application, like a gateway drug. You know, you could explain to someone that memory palaces will change their lives and they'll just walk right past you. But if you say, Hey, I can teach you a technique that will help you learn a language in half the time that it would before. And suddenly people are interested. And I think you do that well with the way that you, you, uh, you, you help bring it down to, okay, let's start with the practical problem that's in front of you right now. And then how do we, and it becomes a gateway drug into the sort of world of memory where when you realize how powerful this is, you're like, wow, I can use this to do so many different things. Mm -hmm. Something you've, uh, I, I mean, there's a, there's a second side to you. So I think there's this mental, this inner journey and, and your most recent book, The Victorious Mind, um, which is fascinating, starts to talk about how all of those threads 
from the work that you've done in meditation, but also in uh, visualization. I mean, building memory palace is an amazing tool for improving focus. Even if you don't want to memorize a single thing and you're someone who struggles with focus, learning to sit and visualize and think through. So it's fun. It's super fun. And it mm. also is a great way to, to train your brain into just like sitting and actually seeing things. And in your most recent book, you talk about that, uh, how that outer journey of memory and, uh, and memory palace has actually helped boost that inner journey of, uh, I guess, sort of, uh, peace and equanimity and focus but uh, but the other thing I want to talk about is the fact that you've written 52 books <laughs> which is amazing uh, as someone who's struggled to write my first book and it felt like pulling teeth the whole way um, I would love to talk about um, how you've done that I, I mean let's talk about that so you so you you've, you've done all this stuff you've discovered these amazing memory techniques you've written 52 books and your most uh, recent book talks about this but it, it's easy to see experts and think you know oh this isn't for me I'm not going to get there you know, talk to us a little bit about how you got there. You know, where did you start and, and what did it take to go to this place that you are now and, and where were you originally? Well, there's <laughs> many stories to be told, but, you know, just on the book thing, imagine a 14 year old kid with a copywriter or a photocopier, sorry, uh, <laughs> and uh, actually learning to be a copywriter because those words are coming together in my head because I started to make my own books with a photocopier and then I learned how to sell them at a very young age. And I mean, we're talking zines, right? <laughs> Where it's 10 cents, 25 cents or whatever. And by the time I get to university, I have my own small press and we're selling wow. out editions, my partner and I, you know, within a very short period of time, because we do, you know, a hundred copies and we'd make them by hand. And this was kind of formal art as much as it was, content-based art. So for example, the book would be called Open Letter Closed Book and all the pages were sealed. And at the back taped inside was a knife, a plastic knife. So you had to like cut open all the pages and we did all kinds of things. Like we had books that you had to destroy in order to open them, etc. And um, so that was really why that I loved memory techniques so much is because it gave me all kinds of free time. I mean, I wrote three novels when I was in university and grad school alone. Mm -hmm. I have no idea really actually 52 is a number that um, is definitely true, but if you were to count fairly, it's probably more than that because zines and chat books, there's just oodles of them that I've put out or been involved in over the years. Um, and that was also a strategy against depression, which is what got me into memory techniques in the first place. So, I mean, I feel like these days people need trigger warnings. I'm a pretty straightforward guy. And so it, it's kind of a grim thing, but when you're in Canada, it's deep, deep winter. Mm. You've got, or I had, I should put it in, in the way that it was. Um, I had exams looming for my doctoral uh exams so you have field exams there's two of them in total then you have like different things that are going on between then and getting sitting for your defense you have to research for your dissertation and all kinds of stuff and i get letters telling me that my student loans are going to be due early and the snow is so high they're going to call in the military because they can't you know the municipalities can't clear it and i'm just i've hit rock bottom 
for years before that, I'd been in and out of hospital because of psychiatric conditions, manic depression with an element of psychosis, et cetera. They're like, well, we're not going to call you schizophrenic because you're too self-aware of all this. Because I used to have mm. you know, conversations with them about psychology because I studied a lot of psychology and I sort of knew the implications of what was going on. So I couldn't be schizophrenic because you know schizophrenics aren't self-aware or whatever. I don't know what they were saying. But um, I hit rock bottom. I was drinking my face off all the time eating pizza and ice cream in the middle of the night, et cetera. And it was either fail my first field exams or not go to them or jump off the bridge. That was basically the options, except I was at university one day and I saw in this winter, it's just amazing because it felt like summer inside of York University in Toronto. There's a place called York Lanes. I don't know if it's still there but they build it out so it feels like a New York street in summer. And so in the middle of winter, these street magicians come to do magic tricks as I'm on my way to the bookstore. And something lights up in my head because I used to do magic when I was a kid. And they did a trick and I grabbed the deck and I said, let me show you something. <laughs> they were totally surprised and I managed to pull it off and um, I felt better, strangely. And I went home and I YouTube was a new thing and I spent probably the next two months, just binging every magic instruction video that I could see fine. And then I found memory techniques that way, which long story short, I learned to memorize a deck of cards. And I realized that if you could memorize a deck of cards, you could get French philosophy onto cards and yeah. use the same technique. And so I noticed feeling better and better and better. And then I went, I did, I passed all my exams. I, they gave me some special words at the end about, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then I got a postdoc uh, research grant from a major body in Germany called the uh, Deutsche Forschung Gemeinschaft or German Research Society, I guess uh, mm -hmm. you would translate it as. And uh, yeah, then some other adventures happened and I kept writing books and doing all this stuff. And one of them eventually became a memory book that did quite well. And I've been at it ever since. That's amazing. What a great story. So you had this, it's so funny that you bring up the magic because uh, I think it was uh, David Allen was talking about uh, when I interviewed him the other day, he was talking about how he used to do magic when he was a kid as well. And I think there's something yeah, yeah. about magic, which it makes you very aware of other people's attention and therefore your own attention and the way the brain works, because you're, you know, you have to learn how to misdirect it and direct it and what people remember and what they forget. But anyway, you're, you're, from a young age, you're obviously incredibly creative. You have this sort of creative spark inside you. I love the, the image of you in a sort of, you know, library somewhere, bootlegging uh, copies <laughs> of books that you've written and things like that. It's a very uh, Stephen King-esque image in my head. Uh, and then, uh, and then, so you've got this writing bug, you've got this creativity, but then like a lot of creative people um, that I know, you're also plagued, and a lot of people in fact that I know, but certainly I think creativity, maybe because they're more in touch with how that's all moving, you're, you're also plagued with this sense of, uh, I guess, depression, with misery, with and you're struggling to deal with that and you come against this you know in the hero's journey your crux point where there's this moment of no return where you're like okay, mm. i have these exams and i remember i still have nightmares about my final exam so i, I know how you, <laughs> how you feel um and and so you discover memory techniques by chance because of the fascination of memory but quickly you realize that it saves you a huge amount of time 
uh, but also that there's something else going on because you're starting, I guess you're not only starting to feel better because you're doing things better, but also you're just starting to feel better in general. You know, it's going to be improving your focus, improving the way that you think you relate to your mind and things like that. And then you start writing about memory and teaching what you've learned to other people around you. Does that sound? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the problem with these stories is that confabulation, you know, they change every time you tell them and so forth. But the, the, the way that I started to write about, I had no intention to ever teach memory. I mean, I used to give my lectures, memorize all the uh, names of the students. And I would say to them, would you like to know how I did that? Because they'd be blown away. But, you know, they weren't that interested. They were there to do film studies, right? Uh, and what ended up happening is after my research grant was done, I went to Vancouver back home and I was preparing curriculum for an after school school, not teaching. And one day a teacher didn't show up. And so Haiti, who ran the place, uh, and she's amazing, uh, Haiti Winfrey, entrepreneur. She was my first mentor of like how to do business at a more elevated level. And uh, she just said, you got to get in there and teach because someone's not showing up. And I'm like, what am I supposed to teach them? I, I don't, <laughs> high school people, I don't know what to do. Anyway, I went in there and I got through the high school stuff in like 15 minutes. And I said, what do you guys want to do next? And they said, I don't know, you're the teacher. And I said, okay, let's learn how to recite the alphabet backwards. And you know, that was the, that was the first time I ever taught memory techniques and lo and behold, within four to five minutes, most of them could recite the alphabet backwards. So then they said, what else can we do? And so I was showing them memorizing cards and all this sort of stuff. They asked me to write it down. And um, so I did, and that became the first book. And it just, as I was thinking about developing different kinds of businesses, the Kindle revolution was going on. I threw this book up on the internet and I forgot about it. And a friend of mine who I was sort of like peer mentoring with, he uh, said, hey, have you seen your book? And I was like, no. He's like, it's like number one in two categories on Amazon. And I was like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> so that's, the, that's really the, the start of it. And, and I just started to receive so many questions from people, you know, and then that I needed eventually to turn it into a blog because I got in trouble. I was emailing so many people. Mm -hmm. that the email company said they closed my account and I had to apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm getting so many questions. And they said, well, you have to go to this company and pay this amount. And then you can email people on mass, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to do a business. Uh. Yeah. Whatever. I had to go, like do all the stuff that business people do counter scarcity mindset and yada, yada, yada uh, to make it happen. But it just was not practical to press a reply to 700 people in like a free email account uh, <laughs> because I was getting that many questions from this this one book so wow that's an amazing story so so I kind of just happened for you and then at what at what point so you obviously made the transition at some point towards talking about memory and, and we know each other through a, an amazing guy called John Morrow uh, mm -hmm. and I was reading uh, the introduction of the victorious mind and I saw that you even referenced his amazing blog post um, that he wrote about his story and how he effectively built his business from a wheelchair, um, you know, only able to move his mouth. I mean, he's a, just a, a very, very inspiring guy. So at what point, uh, so you, you start, you think, okay, I'm going to start doing this as a business. At what point do you meet John? And at what point do you start really growing this into something? I would say John enters the picture around 2014. And okay. it's, it's so good that you mentioned him because you mentioned sort of this sort of link between creativity and, and a down downside of depression and so forth. I would actually challenge that. In fact, my first dissertation idea was going to be called the myth of the sick poet, because mm. I really think that if you do the math, 
there are way more normal, balanced, creative, successful people than there are ill ones. And it just happens that we want some mystery solved about what creativity is. And so we go, oh, it must be those wackos because they're the ones that stick out like a sore thumb. But, and, and when I did my research for that original concept of the myth of the sick poet, I did analysis of Hollywood stars, for example, and the amount of them that have normal marriages, pretty well-balanced real estate businesses on the side, yada, yada, yada. Like there's just nothing extraordinary going on. Okay, nothing, so it's no mystery at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, but when we talk about John Morrill, right? Like one of the things, if you listen to a recent interview with him and uh, Alex Sharfin, he, they, they say, you know, none of this has anything to do with the chair, mm. right? And I am very adamant that nothing that I'm doing has anything to do with creativity and it has nothing to do with mental illness, even though I have a mental illness in the, it's the fly in the ointment yeah. in my life, but it is in no way an explanation or a driver or anything. And I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I think that the evidence is in my favor. It's just pretty bland to be looking and saying, oh, yeah, well, most celebrities are, you know, normal yeah, yeah. married people with a business instead of this Nicolas Cage and all respect to Nicolas Cage. I mean, he's just another guy, but you know, you, I just pick that as a story where he, the dude owns islands or whatever the heck and castles. And then the next day he's bankrupt. Like that's a pretty rare yeah. occasion. And that I wouldn't peg on anything about him either, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just the way it is in the world that these things happen to people and it, it's not an explanation. And this is really important for memory techniques because a lot of people think they can't use them because they're not creative. No, there's no such thing as creativity in memory techniques. What you're doing is assembling mental Lego. So you, you, you get fast at them precisely because you've removed creativity out of the equation. So Nicolas Cage, right? You know, you could probably think, well, that's, that's a good 27, right? Because N and, you know, K sound for Cage. Cause if you know these techniques, then you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. He's right? actually my 93. <laughs> using the using the Dominic system because N is nine and, and C is three. <laughs> right. And now you get to the magic, right? Oh wait, there's different spells, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone's system is very personal. <laughs> yeah, well, it's personal, but it's the systematicity that we need to notice. Yeah, yeah, so whether you yeah. use this system or that system, the point to the thing to notice is that there's a system here, and the system is the reduction of creativity so that you reduce decision and you just make associations. Yeah. Right? And that's why it's so magical. You just got to show is, up. And which is really the essence of creativity, right? I think there's so much um, myth around creativity as being this, you know, magic thing that it's sort of a divine inspiration, but creativity is really the assembling of many, many, many small Lego bricks in a way that no one else has assembled them before. But if you don't have the Lego bricks, I always, people always say, I, oh, you know, why would I memorize things? I'm like, think of how you use language creatively. Now imagine that you had to look up every single word before you could use it when you were having a conversation. How creative do you think you could ever be? The reason we use language so creatively, the reason poets write poetry, the reason screenwriters write screens, the reason we have this conversation is because the building blocks are memorized. You know, the little Lego bricks are memorized and therefore we can, in our brains, reconstruct them however we want. And the same is true for everything. If you want to talk creatively, if you want to be creative uh, when you're an artist, the reason the artists are creative is because they've, they've mastered these tiny little building blocks that are in by themselves not creative at all. You know, whether it's perspective or lines or shading or shadow, or even you see the studies by, you know, artists where they just, you know, 
religiously are just doing the, the satin, the, the way light hits satin. And when you see their creativity, it's the const- it's all of those memorized things that come together that mm. creates creativity. And so I think what, what you're saying is so true is that the act of doing memory palaces doesn't require creativity, but it's the catalyst. It's the very fundamental, the ability to memorize and internalize things is the foundation of all creativity afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't mean to sound like I'm opposed to creativity as being a thing, but well, so you're much a creative my... person, so, <laughs> so yeah. I would be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into the semantics of it, but I do, yeah. I do think it's an important uh, distinction that can be very helpful for people because it really doesn't have to do with having to invent things. It's the opposite. And unfortunately, a lot of the books in the memory tradition, including my own, I've even made this mistake. I wasn't paying enough attention to the subtleties, but I learn over time, as authors do, if they are self-reflexive in any way, uh, is that we can fix this. We can actually improve this. We can pay more attention to how we describe it. And then we recursively learn more about the tradition and it just, you know, strength upon strength and iron sharpens iron. Very cool. Great thing. So we, so there are, there are several journeys that I'd love to explore. The first is your entrepreneurial journey, but I think that's, Let's leave the entrepreneurial journey for now because um, what I'd love to focus on is the memory journey that you're going through. So at the same mm-hmm. time, you're building this business, you're teaching people, you're learning all of the important skills from people like John Morrow, you're building the blog and you're helping more, you've built your course. Um, and that's why we're talking today. We, we sort of find you through your books and things, but then there's the memory journey. So what what's, you start out discovering memory palaces. I assume you're using uh, basic systems like mnemonic systems and linking systems and all this kind of stuff. Where does your, how has that changed over time? Have you found that your understanding of how you improve your memory has changed over time or is it did you sort of get the foundations very early and then it was just a case of applying those with more and more skill as time went on i think it's a bit of both and i'm not even sure how you divide it from the entrepreneurial thing because with all respect to all that i all the people that i learned from it's really frustrating when you're trying to learn these techniques because i you know i had to pick up some biblical hebrew uh as part of the doctoral journey and um I'm reading Harry Lorraine, the memory book, and there's two pages on memorizing vocabulary. And I'm thinking, what? Like this, this, it, it just on its face does not make sense. So I have to research some more. And then as I recall it, you know, there's, there's a certain mystery. Lorraine says, well, I was in the library and I found all these old books. Well, it's yeah. just like, my first thing is, which books yeah, yeah and so yeah, yeah. It, and it doesn't take that long to find rhetorica ad herinium mm-hmm. theologica you know and i can go on through a whole list of the ancient books but the thing to to find there is that those guys were hardcore mm-hmm. and they said and we don't know who wrote rhetorica ad herinium but he says you want to know how to memorize anything learn how to memorize words but then he doesn't really say that much about how to do it. You know, it's just like <laughs> five stations in a room, golden hand on the fifth station. It's just like, and I'm just like, that doesn't make sense either. Like, what do you need a gold hand on the fifth room? So basically what I'm doing is I'm inquiring into the what, the how, the where, the why, the, the who's doing this kind of stuff. And I start to build it in my own head, which is what everybody needs to do. And I get really, you know, deep into this idea of systematicity, not the system, because you're not going to get anybody else's system, but how do you build the system? And then you realize, wait, you get into this kind of, or I did anyway, this kind of Bruce Lee flow. And I, I'll never forget actually one of my books, a reviewer said, and that's where I'm thinking of this. She said, this is the Bruce Lee of memory. And in a way it sort of makes sense because you've got to have this structure 
but it's got to be like grass. You've got to be able to blow and it's got to bend, right? Yeah. So how do you, how do you do that? And that's basically, so the answer is, I think I got it pretty early on mm -hmm. and all that's changed is that I just teach it better. Uh, nothing fundamentally has changed in what I'm teaching other than that more practice leads to more insight and more practice teaching leads to more insight into how to explain it to more people and just learning more about how people process not only the words I say, but the information display and just innovating. So I don't know if you divide it from the entrepreneurial question at the end of the day. Another way to think about that is I'm teaching people to be like entrepreneurs of their own minds, which is to say you want to return on your investment. So you've got to learn certain rules and principles, and then you got to make them your own. And then you got to do analysis. And how are you going to, you know, optimize this, that, and the other thing? Do you choose this or that to optimize? And, you know, some of the questions you framed earlier about, you know, productivity and how do you, how do you, how do you do that? Well, you build the laboratory, you show up in your science coat and um, you run the tests and then you do the analysis and then you do another test. It's all testing uh, basically at the end of the day. And the, the, the beauty is, is that the test results are your memory. <laughs> so you, you get to learn as you go. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, we talked about the fear that people have around getting started with some of these memory techniques because they worry, what if it doesn't work? What if, you know, what if the first hundred hours are a waste of time, that kind of thing. And, and I think the way that you say it as, a, as an experiment is so interesting, but the difference between a, a lab experiment and this is that when you do a chemistry experiment, you throw away whatever it is you've created at the end. But with the memory experiments, every experiment is a productive thing. You know, your experiment could be a practical experiment. Like I'm going to learn this at this. It's going to be a means to learning German, or it's going to be a means to, I love that you study difficult Hebrew in your PhD using this, or it could be that a very practical one that people often want to do is just memorize the people who they meet in a room so that they can, how many of us have awkwardly not had said hello to someone because we can't remember their name and potentially lost out on a valuable and fascinating relationship as a result, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so you can run the experiments, not, and it does. It's not academic. It can feel, you know, when we start talking about systems. It can feel very academic, but it's so practical. It's stuff you can do day to day, even if it's memorizing a phone number that comes your way, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think the the fascinating, um, the most fascinating, or one of the most fascinating things that we've talked about is, I guess, the the sense of peace and equanimity and the increased focus that you talk a lot about in the victorious mind, which is in and, in and of itself and a, a fascinating reason to start getting into memory techniques. Was that something you expected to happen as you went along? Was it totally unexpected? How did, how did, you, how did you have that realization that this was something that, that your memory techniques were, were bringing you towards? Well, it's kind of uh, one of those problems of memory where you, know, you feel like you maybe noticed it more than you did all along, but I did notice when I first got into memory techniques, this boost I didn't, it didn't cure my depression and it still hasn't uh, cured mental illness. That's for sure. But uh, it, it, there was a, a notice, a noticing, even just the confidence of being able to that's on page 72, you know, that kind of thing <laughs> in a, in an exam situation. Cause uh, these exams, you know, somebody said to me, where's the Nietzsche in your dissertation. And I was like, well, that would be on page 72 kind of thing. And it's just uh, uh, flipping to that page. And there it is. Um, but the, uh, the thing is, is that when I started to seriously get into memorizing content for meditation, that's when it switched on. 
and when I got my head out of my butt about certain things that just weren't for me because there's not enough science, right? So I've always been a pretty scientific liter- uh, scientifically literate person, but I wasn't what you would call maybe pataphysical. And pataphysical means virtual science, the science of what could be if you were to flip things on its head and run the experiments anyway, even if it doesn't sound scientifically sound to you, um, which was really where things started to happen. Because I never thought that yoga, for example, had anything to do with me, right? And I never thought that memorizing mantras would be for me. And by the way, I learned recently that you're supposed to say mantra, not mantra. <laughs> <laughs> and it's chakra, not chakra. That's it. Anyway. You discovered the secret ingredient now that that was what was holding you back. <laughs> but, uh, but that teacher was very, very, very kind enough to say that the pronunciation is probably not the secret. But anyway, <laughs> I just uh, add that to remind myself to, to build my own memory. Uh, but that's actually part of the, the thing, right? Is that when you pay attention to those granular details, that is the secret, right? And when you are willing to try things that you might not believe in because you are the one who has to produce the evidence, then that's when things really change. And so as I talk about in The Victorious Mind, I think there was a compound effect because I had been meditating for quite some time. But by the same token, I don't think this thing that people sometimes call an awakening would have happened if I hadn't um, made a change and started to explore things that I had been adamant against you know i really had my foot down against anything that even remotely smelled of religion um and now i haven't flipped the switch but i'm i'm glad i was skeptical of my own dogmatism there because uh, it's changed a lot even if it hasn't changed anything i mean i'm still the same skeptical scientific minded individual but i just I don't know. I mean, as I talk about in Victorious Mind, when I started to feel this bliss in my head, the first thing I went to was the doctor to make sure I don't have a brain tumor. And, uh, and I started to double down on the research because I had heard Sam Harris uh, in a conversation with Daniel Kahneman mention uh, some research where he says meditation can start to look like heroin without the needle. And that just didn't satisfy me. I mean, I like Sam Harris, but you know, I'm not going to take this blissful feeling in my head on his word that it can be like heroin. Like this could be a serious problem because it's one of those too good to be true things. I mean, I really feel way better than I should, <laughs> you know? And plus I have manic depression in the mix. And so, you know, I go to the doctor, rule it out. Like, am I going to, am I just in a very long manic phase or what's going on here? Um, Cause there's no free lunch, but the it, Occam's razor would suggest that if you meditate as much as I do and you memorize as much Sanskrit as I do, I didn't get it for free. <laughs> so it's, um, and it, it, it will go away if you don't keep to show, keep showing yeah. up. Well, so. it's like, you know, it's a, it's a form of fitness. I think that uh, we, we kind of have shied away from it in modern meditation practice because it's hard work, but the first mm. phase of meditation, which is not necessarily compulsory according to which teacher you look at is a deep, deep level of, of focus, right? The yeah. reason that, you know, that there's many reasons that we focus on the breath, but one of the reasons you focus on the breath on your upper lip, and keeping the, is the ability to keep your mind focused. And, and I, I assume that both your meditation and also all of the visualization practice that you've done over time gave you the tools that then when you were ready to start thinking about this stuff that you were then, you, you were equipped already with the toolkit that you needed in order to start experimenting with this stuff. So 
I think that's true. And something compelling I heard recently, actually, Chris Wallace is the is the the person who, and not the uh, Fox News Chris Wallace, but a different Chris Wallace who wrote the Recognition Sutras. He um he's the guy who you know is very good about the pronunciation of Sanskrit. He um he made a a point that I never realized that that perhaps the whole development of tantra is for people with busy minds like me. So mm. yes, breathing, and I was able to develop a certain amount of focus. But that monkey mind that just doesn't shut off, that was never going to shut off without giving it something to do. Mm. And so it can be that other people, they don't, they don't have such a busy mind and they don't need to memorize a bunch of uh, Sanskrit or, or anything, right? And mm -hmm. so one, one of the exciting things that I discovered, it's probably been there longer uh, and just people need to find it, is just the realization that there could be meditation types that you just haven't explored yet that are going to help you hit the ground running. But if you just, as I did, pigeonhole it and, oh, meditation is this, Alan Watts is right, it's sitting just to sit, blah, 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 you know, then you're locking yourself into the prison you're trying to escape. For sure. I think the, the as in my understanding of the old Pali scripts is that, or the Sanskrit is that, um, that even in the original teachings, there was a sense of there are different kinds of people. Some people need to attack it from a more mental, you know, thought. And that's where someone like Sam Harris is amazing because, you know, mm. he's very like, it's direct revelation in terms of the, the approach he uses, but it's, he's very like science-based. And, and there are some people who are much more emotional, some people who are much more visceral and sensation-based and, and finding which one, you know, if you're someone who has a busy mind and yet you, someone forces you to sit still and not use your mind, then that's gonna go crazy. Instead, you need to learn to tame the mind and give it something to be, yeah, so I totally agree. <laughs> So we've talked, we've talked about, I guess there are, there are at least three journeys that you've been on. The first is, and they sort of all interweave, they're not separate. The first is the, the memory journey where you discover this as a tool when, I guess, before you really realize what it is that you're going to be doing with your life, you're kind of doing your PhD, you're studying film studies, you're doing your creative stuff, and you discover these, um, this fascination with the magic and the memory techniques and the, and the memory goes one way. And then you have the entrepreneurship where you start the business and you're building the business and that goes the other way. And then you have this meditation side of things, which is also uh, proceeding along at the same time. And they're all obviously linked and, and none of them would be what they are without the other ones. And we've talked a lot about um, people who've inspired you um, mm. over the years. So I guess if you were for each of those journeys, if you were to give someone, uh, I'm going to restate this question a few different ways uh, in a second, but if you were to give someone, I mean, who are your heroes within each of those journeys within, let's start with the, the memory. Who was it who inspired you most in memory? Who's been your, your hero in that sphere? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, probably I would put Harry Lorraine and Tony Buzan together. Cool. And I was very fortunate to have some time with Harry on the phone at the beginning and get some great oh, wow. advice about, you know, the, the, the work, right? Because he, he told me two words that changed everything, which were Gene and Schwartz, <laughs> which you may know those names. Um, and I'll leave that for people to explore if they're interested. But wow, you know, that's a gift if ever there was one. And um, then when I met Tony uh, Buzan, he he told me how important Harry Lorraine had been to him, right? <laughs> In terms of figuring out how to how to make this work as a, a as not only a, a pedagogical enterprise but something that actually grows and and, and feeds itself. Uh, so that was a very interesting thing. So I would say those two people, uh, precisely because 
And I think it, here's the thing, and it's kind of an image I have for my own future, should I be so fortunate, is that they both seem so tremendously happy mm. in their old age. And I'm quite certain that consistent memory practice is the answer above all. I mean, there may be other things, but that's a common denominator. Uh, so yeah, they, they're, they're definitely hero status for multiple reasons. Uh, and they themselves have woven together science with entrepreneurship, with, with memory. Uh, I I, I they would be your heroes for the other categories as well, you think? No, well, yes and no, but in terms of entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, I think, you know, again, it's that kind of the normal person, the manage, the person who just manages to not be this, this display, but they just have a life and they have the, they've developed their assets, they own cash flow in different areas and so forth. And it, it doesn't have to be these I am wizards on the internet, right? Sure. Sure. Although, um, so, you know, along those lines, I just think of people that I've met in the community um, that, no, you know, one of them, um, Damien Patterson here, he, he told me this great thing. He said, you know, just use luck, which means learn using correct knowledge. Right? <laughs> just amazing. And he has just an incredible uh, business uh, or set of businesses, actually. And so, by the community, do you mean John Morrow's Smart Bloggers Only community? Or do you mean the, the entrepreneurial community in general? I was just thinking here in Brisbane. Uh, oh, okay, in Brisbane. But, okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, just when, when, you, when you take away the flash and you just look at the gas, it's everywhere. There's mm. people who are successful in business all over the place, probably on your street. I mean, if you really poke into it and you look at it, your, uh, your, your little neighborhood probably has a czar and, you know, that person is deeply invested in it and it's all worked out and yeah, 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 right? Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't necessarily have any individual to name, but John Morrow obviously uh, came up and, and he's, he's the man. He's, he is, I spend quite a lot of time with him and he's the man for lots of reasons. And one of them is, he sort of helped me understand, you know, the focus on the one thing and I focused on his training above all. And that's a lesson for everybody because we, and I'm as susceptible to it as anybody else is there's a shiny new thing every mm. five minutes. But if you haven't exhausted the one thing, mm. you know, now I hire like from John's <laughs> uh, writers that he trains um, because I'm just practicing that. Well, this is the one thing. Mm. And, Partly it's like maybe bhakti devotion to the teacher, but I don't think so. It's just, it's just the incredible power of being in, in it, in one thing and yeah. really milking it for all it's worth. So, you know, going back and reading or rereading rather a Tony Buzan book probably would do more for most people than it would to get the next new thing uh, or better said, both of those things, right? So it would be like revisiting a, a John Morrow course or getting a recording of one of our one-on-one -on -one sessions or whatever, just to, to milk it as opposed to the next thing. Or if there is going to be a next thing, review the old thing and in the context of the new thing. Because when you talk about point A to point B, there is no point A if you don't get to point B because mm -hmm. all the riches of point A are, are over in point B. Yeah. Right? So, I do see a lot of the, uh, I see a lot of the time out uh, especially out in Bali, but it, all over the place, is there's an addiction to taking the first three steps on the journey because the first oh, three yeah. steps on the journey are the easiest 
Oh, I mean, let's, they say the first step is the hardest, but they're the easiest in that you, that you, you learn the most from them and they're very, they tend to be done. So they're very easy and they don't require a lot of work. And there's that sort of beginners, you know, very easy scale that you get. And then things start getting a bit harder. And so people switch to someone else and then they do the first three steps for those guys and they switch to someone else. And I meet these people and they're constantly working on themselves, but they're constantly working on the first three steps of another guru's journey. And so you meet them and they it's like someone who edits, you know, we've all done this, you know, especially when we start out, your first paragraph of your, of your essay becomes the most beautiful, your article becomes the most beautifully polished article and the rest of it just never happens. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I, I definitely resonate with that idea of, I think it's important to have both, to be a little bit discovering, but also early and soon to pick a mentor and to also be going deep as well as breath. Yeah, yeah. depth is very very important there's something to be achieved from depth that you simply i mean quantity has a quality of its own but you also need, <laughs> need quality depth. yeah and you know things like your traction planner reminded me of that recently so you know i just i put on there uh you know revisiting a course retaking a course mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, it's just magic it, it, it is a bit it can be a bit of a psychological slog because you're like oh i've been been through this before and um you you, you kind of have to be aware of your brain's craving for novelty and just make it novel breathe a little bit get a different notebook different color whatever it takes mind map instead of taking notes but th there's so much treasure in what you already got you know so 100 I, I i see books books that i love like stephen covey's seven habits of highly effective people even getting things done by david allen uh, yeah. even things like the memory book uh, or Tim Ferriss's four hour work week or whatever it might be. I've reread those books four or five times each. And every time I've read them, it's been like reading a new book because I grew with the book or the book grew with me. And so things which I read, but sort of didn't sink in the first time, sunk in the second time and third time. And, and that's the sign of a fantastic book or a great course is that every time you revisit it, it is a new course because bits of it that weren't relevant before jump out at you. So yeah. there's a lot of value in revisiting old content. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would love, I, I think we might have to save productivity for another time because you're obviously <laughs> a, a super productive um, person. I mean, you can't write 52 books and build the business you have and, and do all the things that you've done without having a, a good handle on destroying distractions, beating procrastination, prioritizing on the things, knowing where it is you even want to go and setting good goals and also not burning out. You know, the fact that you've been doing this for so long means that you have a good rhythm, you know, what works, what doesn't. Mm. I know you're fantastic at outsourcing and slowly getting things done. Um, so we may have to do another sort of productivity system uh, uh, breakdown. Um, I'm curious, um, what advice, if you could go back to 18 year old Anthony, uh, who's sort of thinking about, you know, going to university, he's still, you know, doing his, his zines and his books and publishing, what advice would you, would you give to that Anthony? And, and what advice would you tell him to ignore? Well, I'd probably say that the worst vice is advice. <laughs> and I would advise myself to take that to heart because I've taken a lot of advice that was not good because I wasn't scientific enough. And that may have led to a trap because when I became more scientific, then I got dogmatic about everything had to be science as such. So I would caution myself about that. And I would also tell myself to, you know, really double down on, Sanskrit-based meditation so that I didn't think that my mind was real. <laughs> so that would be uh, the, the, the main thing that I would say. And just to care more, you know, treat myself like a pet, treat myself like a friend and forgive myself more often, etc. cetera. Um, and, 
yeah, in terms of productivity and systems, I mean, I think you can sum it up very, very quickly, which is that you've got to realize that time is not your enemy. It is your friend and it's not managed. It's not shaped. It's not dictated to. It actually doesn't exist. Time is a fantasy with which you play magic tricks. And so that's all that, that that's almost all I have to say about it because the rest is just casting spells. And then we've already said it experiment, you know, um, experiment and find out what works. And you have lots of ideas about finding your why and so forth. That never made sense to me. I don't know why I really don't. I have no idea why any of this is happening. I don't even think I want to know why, but <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, is you, you, you want to just understand that, that none of this really is what it seems. It's, it's just a splurt of energy and matter and you get to witness it. And the more you sort of punish yourself for not getting what you want and so forth, that's a call to really think about what it is you want, right? Because you had said something you know, very compelling. It's you already are fine. You already are perfect. You already are the thing that you seek. And that's what I wish that my younger self would have known. And I think my younger self knew it all along, right? I think we do know this. We all know this, that this is it, right? And so uh, I think that that's the advice that we all need to hear is just, just, just wake up. Every movie we watch at some level is trying to tell us this. And that's what I was really doing as a film professor, I was trying to wake up to the fact that films, literature, philosophy, religion, all that stuff is all pointing at the same thing, which is you are it. Tatvamasi, as they say in Sanskrit, you are that. This is all there is. And when you get that, then I think you can legitimately say you've escaped the matrix as a... Uh, you know, there's many versions of that. You're free. You're free. You're just free. And uh, anybody can do it. You just got to carry around, you know, your, your meat tube, as James Schwartz calls it. <laughs> That's a minor irritation at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always do what you want. <laughs> um, fascinating. Yeah. I think, I, I think something that two themes that came out there for me from what you were saying, which I think is super valuable. Uh, I mean, that everything you said was super valuable, but two things that resonated with me um were the idea of uh acceptance um that what will be will be uh you know <laughs> um and, and also this idea of play um you know i love that idea of play that and i think play also comes they're all intertwined with this idea of you being enough just as you are you know once you accept that what is is and that actually if you never improved or never achieved another thing in your whole life that you are great just as you are and you're already mm. awesome then you can see time, like you say, as a friend. You go, oh, well, if I've got all of this time, how would I play with it? You know, how would I do things which are exciting and interesting and fun? And, 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 and once you get that in your head and once you start seeing it more playfully, then you actually become more, you achieve far, far more in a way that is far, far more pleasurable than if you're constantly grinding away and fighting. Yeah, yeah. And even if you were, right? This is something that just appears in your consciousness. It's a, it's a configuration that is appearing to you. Yeah. And so that's where things get really exciting and interesting. And I think that's where we can just point back. We already know this, you know, but anyway, that's, that's Sam Harris stuff. Uh, I know I love Hattie. that stuff. 
on having no head, you know, it's, it's Zen. I know, I know that there's a journey that we have to go through though, where, where talking about that stuff can be very overwhelming for people who are just like very practically like, Oh, by the way, I've got an endless to-do list and I don't know what to do next right, week. Right. Like, how do I set next week up for success? And how do I actually get what I want to do tomorrow? And you go, guys, don't worry about it. This is all an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, that is literally the last thing I wanted to hear. Just tell me how to get my schedule sorted. <laughs> yeah. I think different levels, right, as you go through. And, and I always say there's a, an inner and an outer journey, right? There's the outer journey of productivity where you go. But there's also this inner journey that you've described very beautifully there, which is understanding that no matter how, but you, you have to go through both journeys in order to understand them, I think. And you are, are clearly already saying this from a very productive place. You, know, you, don't, you don't get as much done as you have got done without having some basics sorted. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I don't know that I have an explanation for why it's happening. And yeah. that's kind of back to the myth of the sick poet sort of thing, yeah, yeah. where I look around in the world and I see productivity everywhere. It's just that I see a lot of people who are out of alignment in what that they're producing. Mm -hmm. So they, there's, a, there's often two people inside, like your inner world, outer world. But I'd say in the inner world, there's sort of like what people say they want mm -hmm. and then what they do, which mm -hmm. is often contrary. Now, that's a whole discussion about Freud. It's a discussion about at least three primal anxieties. And I think you know anybody can explore that sort of stuff. But if you're ultimately not able to figure out the system that produces the outcome that you want, then the issue is maybe not productivity. I don't know for sure. Everybody has to sort of figure that out, but it could be that you're blocked because you don't feel good enough from some psychological thing, or it could be a nutritional imbalance and so forth. And um, I, I guess I'm, I'm not trying to dodge it, but I just don't know that I'm the explanation for it because it just seems to me that, that uh, it's just normal to be as productive as I am. It's just yeah. that the, the productivity is not always leading to the kinds of outcomes that people like ourselves make, right? But I think we're we're all we're not equally productive, but we're all productive. We're machines of production. It's just mm -hmm. what are you producing, and um, how 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 aware are you of that in a kind of a grammar or a equation of of joy in in the doing and. Uh, the being and the having, or better said, being, doing, having, you know? Um, and that I think anybody can, can also figure out. And the beauty is, is working on productivity and figuring out schedules and systems is a being and a doing that is itself a having if you just keep showing up and working on it. So I don't know if that is a practical statement or not, but I, I think it, that is the ultimate practical statement is if you feel like you need a schedule, work on a schedule like get a traction planner or whatever you make it happen because that is what's going to make it happen. Action begets action. DOC, right? The doctor from back to the future. If I can take us woo, back to the beginning, <laughs> yeah. doing is the origin of confidence. Doing is the origin of the clarity that you need in order to become the character that you want to be in the, in the, in the theater play of your own life. So just do, and you'll get there. I, I think that's a, as a huge amount of, of really, if you, if, if you listen to this and it went totally over your head, not to worry. <laughs> and I think for a lot of people that will, that will really resonate. And there's definitely something in there. I always talk about productivity is, uh, but I, uh, I think uh, Brian Tracy, and I'm sure he took it from someone else, uh, talk about productivity as being efficiency and effectiveness. And efficiency is getting stuff done, but so often 
uh, effectiveness is doing the right thing. It's the most important thing. People feel frustrated because then they're not going, they don't feel attuned or they don't feel authentic or they don't feel like they're doing what feels right. And it's not because they're doing it wrong. It's because they're climbing the wrong mountain. You know, they're putting one foot in front of the other and that's, they're doing it perfectly, but they're just on the, <laughs> on the wrong path. And part of what you've talked about in terms of this self-knowledge, this emotion, this uh, mindfulness, the, the meditation, that's the inner journey, which I talk about is understanding, okay, well, what do I even want? Sometimes you have to try a lot of wrong things to work out and that's okay. Sometimes you, the only way to work out what the right mountain is, is to climb the six wrong ones and then realize mm -hmm. it's the seventh one. <laughs> this is where the memory equation comes in. And I'll plug this in because I think it's the game changer for so many people. And this is not, this is in a lot of books on productivity and so forth. This is not worded this way necessarily. But you need to figure out what your competence is so that you can expand it, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the six wrong mountains, well, you don't have to climb any wrong mountain. If you would just figure out where is your competence now and then memorize the stuff that expands that competence, then not only will you climb better or more appropriate mountains, but from that mountaintop, you'll be able to spot the more appropriate mountains, mountains for wherever you are in your own matrix uh, or configuration of how you entered the universe. Yeah. Uh, you know, not to get into philosoph philosophical things about free will, but we just don't choose how we enter this place, right? Mm. And so there's going to be constraints, but constraint is what productive, constraint is the thing that cr makes productivity happen, right? Yeah. So figure out where your competence is and then figure out how to expand it. And if you learn memory techniques, you will accelerate your knowledge that leads to the expansion of competence. And then you just, you, you have that experience of flow uh, sure. because what you're doing is oriented towards the outcome that you're looking for. Yeah, my memory is a force multiplier. And that's why I love your work and that's why I love what you do. And, and that's why I think it's so important, this idea of accelerated learning that whatever it is, whatever mountain you decide to climb, the ability to analyze and acquire that, the experience and to, and to, to learn faster is, it will help on with everything, no matter what it is you do in life. Um, let's, um, I, I would love, I, I, the best guests are the ones where you get to the end of your hour and you think, gosh, I wish I had another couple of hours, but we have more time to talk off the record about this stuff. Um, <laughs> tell me or tell us just to, um, to close out two questions left. The first is, um, if you were to recommend three books to 18-year-old uh, Anthony Metavier, which books would you recommend? And, and they could be your own books that you've written in the future that weren't around then. They could be old books. You choose. Uh, the Luck Factor by Richard Weissman. Happiness Beyond Thought by Gary Weber. And hmm, probably Love and Death in Psychotherapy by Robert Links. Uh, oh, great. So something like that. <laughs> awesome. I've, I've, I've not read any of those three books. So I'm very, I love book recommendations as everyone knows. So I will 100% be putting those on my readings. Thank you. Um, and tell us, uh, it's a good question that you asked me last time. And it's the, you know, the classic Tim Ferriss end of interview question. But if you had uh, a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it um, uh, and you could make that the message that you broadcast to the universe, to the world, what would it be and why? Remember, remember, <laughs> just that uh, we are called, we, the, I would say the quality of who you are is the quality of what you can remember on a dime, you know, that, that is what life is. It's what comes to mind when you need it to come to mind. 
not the blanks. That's the suffering. But when you can have a memory that just produces what you need mm -hmm. in a flash, because you've trained it to be reliable, even if you, you, you want to be like the samurai who's prepared to execute any last move, even with his head cut off. And the only way that that happens is through memory because we are memory that if we were to boil things down. So remember, remember, remember. Great. Love it. So, so powerful, uh, super, super powerful stuff. Um, I will put notes to everything that we've talked about uh, underneath this interview. You'll be able to find it on theartofliving.com or it'll be on YouTube. Um, and I'll also put a link to uh, Anthony's amazing website, The Magnetic Memory Method. Um, another great thing, if you're searching for him, he has a, a profile on Amazon uh, and you've got your newest book, The Victorious Mind on there, as well as one of my favorite ones of your books, which is uh, The Secrets to Writing Disaster Movies, which at some point I definitely want to... <laughs> <laughs> to read right, 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 right. <laughs> that's, on there. that's another story <laughs> <laughs> um but is there anywhere else anthony that if people want and you have by the way an amazing four-part video course which is how i got into the memory and how i discovered your work as a as a, a memory a memoritician i don't know what you would call them a, a mnemonic expert um uh, versus just as an entrepreneur is there anywhere else that people should go if they want to just take a next step after listening to this and they want to understand a bit more yeah i mean i would just come to magnetic memory method or check out the tedx talk that i gave which gives a very short version of the victorious mind and the two most important things to memorize which are in english you can memorize them in sanskrit if you want but they're just very simple in english and they can help you if you have a monkey mind pretty instantly and when you see it you'll go wow like why didn't i think of that before and you'll, you'll see in the comments too people are like oh yeah this is xyz cbt or whatever uh, i had no idea but anyway it's um it, it was a long journey for me to get something so simple but if you just want the 13 minute you know, can this guy memorize stuff? Yeah, well, you see me doing the TEDx because you have to recite it from memory. And um, it gives you two simple questions that are a no-brainer to remember that will serve you for life or they'll serve somebody in your life that may be suffering from uh, unwanted thoughts or intrusive thoughts and so forth. So. And what's the, is the, does that talk have a title in case people are listening to this and want to search for it on their phone now? Yeah, it's uh, two easily remembered questions that silence negative thoughts. I think if I <laughs> remembered it correctly, I never actually memorized the, the name of it. But so if you uh, head, to, head to Ted and you search for two easily remembered questions that silence negative thoughts, or you search for Anthony's name, which is Anthony and then Metivier is M-E-T-I-V-I-E-R, then you should, uh, should be able to find his stuff. That's awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time, Anthony. I think the work you've done is amazing. I think you embody it in yourself. You know, you've got such amazing energy and, and you're doing such wonderful things. And, and it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. My pleasure, Arthur. Thank you so much for having me. No problem at all. I'll see you soon. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.